Our uh, reading this evening is from the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and reading from verse 3, it's page 1217 in your pure Bibles, Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that, the faith, so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Father, we thank you for the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the uh, triumphant nature of our faith. And we do pray, Heavenly Father, that as we reflect on uh, truths from your word that many of us, most of us, will have heard uh, many, many times before, that we would receive these truths as little children receiving them, as it were, for the very first time, that they would fill us with the joy and the hope and the peace that they ought to fill us with. Father, we ask uh, at the end of what for some of us will have been a long day, that you would grant us the energy we need uh, to focus, to hear, to receive your word with gladness and gratitude, with joy and with faith. And we offer our prayers to you, in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as Colin uh, reminded us this morning, the New Testament was written to the persecuted church. Peter writes to believers who are suffering uh, for their faith in Jesus. They are under pressure. They are on the ropes. They are battered. They are bruised in many ways. And Peter writes to them, acknowledging their suffering. In his words, he says, they are suffering grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 6, 
but urging them to press on. Our instinctive reaction when we are suffering is to turn away from that which causes us pain. I learned a lot when I was growing up in the Boys Brigade and doing Duke of Edinburgh. One of the things I learned is that when you're out in the fields with your backpack on, you try and climb an electrified fence once and only once because when you've done it once you know that the sensible thing is to look for a sty or a gate to cross the fence into the next field once bitten twice shy we say well peter is under no illusions these believers to whom he writes are suffering for their faith in jesus And there will be an instinct within them that says, this is too much, this is more than I can bear, this isn't what I signed up for. There will be an instinct within them that wants to turn away from the path that they are going down with the Lord Jesus Christ, to step off that narrow road that leads to life. And Peter writes to them to encourage them uh, to, to, to sweep aside that instinct, as it were, and to press on in their faith Uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ, to continue uh, to remain faithful. This letter is filled with acknowledgments of the suffering of God's people. It's filled with encouragements and exhortations to press on, to remain faithful. And it's also filled with uh, bursts of praise from Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says in verse 3. That's the Christian life, isn't it? Praise in the strangest of places, in the places that we would least expect to see it or to to hear it. Uh, Like Paul and Silas, when they are in the prison cell, they are are taken to the deepest and darkest dungeon, the, the least desirable place in the prison. And that cell must have heard many things. It must have heard cries of anguish, cries of pain. It must have heard all sorts of curses, I'm sure. It must have heard uh, protestations that the person who is kept in that cell is innocent. It would have heard all sorts of cries, but I doubt that it had ever heard songs of praise. And yet, as Paul and Silas sit in that cell, quite unjustly, they are heard to be singing songs of praise to their God. Think of them, think of Peter, who praises in persecution and who urges these Christians to praise in persecution. Think of Christians through the ages and around the world who have continued to praise the Lord in the face of great personal trials and tribulations in the face of suffering that many of us cannot comprehend. Think of the response of that Iraqi uh, teenage girl that we heard from through Colin uh, this morning. In the language of the Bible, she rejoiced in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. What keeps the Christian in a place of praise, even when suffering all kinds of griefs? for Jesus. 
there are probably a number of answers we could give, but I think the most succinct one would be hope. Where there is hope, there is a song to be sung. And I was keen to speak about hope today. I've had hope in my mind a lot this week. I think because uh, last week we heard so much about faith. Edwin challenged us to have the, the, the faith of Abraham, the faith that is willing to take risks for the cause of Christ. And he kept speaking about faith. And anytime I hear about faith, I know that hope and love are nearby, because these three things always go together in the Christian walk, don't they? Uh, scholars call faith, hope, and love the Pauline triad, because Paul often put these three Christian virtues together, most famously at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, he says, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I think to call it the Pauline triad is a bit unfair on Peter, though, because he, has, he doesn't have them together in one verse or in one sentence, but he has them together as well, often as he writes, and that's true in our passage, verse 3, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Then down a few verses to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, there's faith again, incidentally, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. If you have faith in Jesus, then you will have hope. And if you have faith and hope, then you will have love. And may we be a people who are always growing in these three Christian virtues. May these three Christian virtues find a home to put down roots and to grow and to bear fruit in this church fellowship. What are the reasons then for having hope, even in the face of these fiery trials, even in the face of, as Peter puts it, griefs of all kinds? Why have hope? Well, there is one reason that lies behind all of the other reasons, that lies at the very roots of the Christian's hope, and that is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is the wellspring in many ways from which the streams of God's blessings flow. Were it not for the mercy of God, there would be no hope. There would be no hope for us. There would be no hope uh, for our town. There would be no hope for our world. But because of the mercy of God, there is hope. God is merciful, and from that mercy flows a stream of hope. Jesus says uh, to Nicodemus, you'll remember Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. That, that picture of darkness is a picture of Nicodemus. He was spiritually unable to see what he should have seen, as were the Pharisees. He comes to Jesus at night, 
And he asks Jesus what he must do. And Jesus says to him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There's bad news in there and there's good news in there. The bad news is we are born blind, spiritually speaking. We cannot see the kingdom of God. But the good news is that in God's mercy, we are able to be born again. We are able to have our eyes opened. We are able to see the kingdom of God and the way to step in to that kingdom as well. God is merciful. Our darkness can be turned to light. Our eyes can be opened. We can see the kingdom. We must be born again. There is a world that the unborn baby can never know. I know nothing about biology at all, so what I'm about to say may well be completely wrong. But I have a theory that before a baby is born that they feel safe and secure. And my theory is based on the fact that when we're in a scary situation and we don't feel we can fight our way out of it, we kind of instinctively go into the fetal position and we feel safe and we feel secure in that position. I think there must be a memory lodged somewhere in the deepest, darkest recesses of our mind that says that was a safe place, that was a secure place. But no matter how safe and how secure we felt, we were always being prepared for life in this world. And imagine what we would have missed out on. As harsh and as hard as life in this world often is, what we would have missed out on uh, had we not stepped out into it. Imagine the people we wouldn't have met, the sights we wouldn't have seen, the tastes we wouldn't have tasted, the things we wouldn't have touched, the people we wouldn't have loved. We were always made for life in this world. It can be hard, it can be harsh, but this is life as it was meant to be. And the same is true spiritually. It would be a lot more comfortable, truth be told, for many of us, had we not been born again. Life for many of us before we were born again was very relaxed, very secure, very comfortable, very easy. And when we gave our lives to Christ, it became a lot more challenging. Suddenly there's a spiritual battle that we're aware of. Suddenly things come against us. Suddenly maybe our, our, our friends or our family members just cool slightly towards us. We don't face the persecution that we've been thinking of uh, this morning or last week. But we do face something of that, a taste of that, don't we? Our friends, our family members, our colleagues maybe begin to look at us slightly differently than they once did. It is a costly thing to give your life to Christ. We could have stayed the way we were. We could have embraced a bit of morality. We could have embraced a bit of religion. We could have come along to warm a pew of a Sunday. But to be born again is a whole different thing. 
to die to self and to live your life unto God is a totally different thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, an influential pastor in uh, Nazi Germany uh, during World War II, and he was an important part of the confessing church. Most of the church just signed up to uh, Hitler's requirements, uh, but there was a confessing church within Glasgow, that, uh, within Glasgow, within Germany that stayed true to uh, the faith uh, under great, the weight of great persecution and trial. And Bonhoeffer was eventually martyred for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his commitment to him. But Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's true. When Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him or her come and die. It's costly. We have to be able to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live. But it is as we surrender our lives that we find our lives. And as, as we die to ourselves that we find this wonderful new life, life in all of its fullness, life with hope and with peace and with purpose and with joy. It's not comfortable, it's costly, but we would never go back. We would never go back to life without Christ. We would never surrender the deep joy and real peace and purpose and love and, yes, hope that we have found in Jesus. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But God is merciful and we can be born again. We can have our blind eyes opened to see. Paul says we are spiritually dead, but we can be born again into life, fullness of life, life lived with God, life lived for God, life lived eternally in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is hope. God is making people who were dead alive in Christ. God is making people who were spiritually blind to see Him and to trust Him. Him. God is making those who were enslaved to sin spiritually free, forgiven. You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, says Paul, and God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. How are we born again into this new life, lived with God and for God, with our eyes open, our sins swept away? We are born again into this life through faith in Jesus. Again, from the mercy of God, God the Father sent God the Son into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. In the mercy of God, the Son humbled Himself to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, to live under the law, to be baptized, though he was without sin, to identify with sinners in that way, though he was a rabbi, though he was master to his followers, he stooped to serve. He washed the very feet of his followers in humility, and he humbly, mercifully, was willing to endure the agonies of Gethsemane and Golgotha 
for us. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. All that flowing from the mercy of God, and it doesn't end with the cross. On the third day, he was raised from death. He took his place at God's right hand. He intercedes for us, and he has sent his Spirit into the world. And in the mercy of God, the Holy Spirit of God raises the spiritually dead to life. He opens the eyes of the spiritually blind. He frees the spiritual captive all through the work of the Son and all to the glory of God the Father. What cause do we have to have hope? The mercy of God. The mercy of God that we see so fully in the life of Jesus and His incarnation as we will celebrate as we come up to Christmas time. And the incarnation in His perfect life in His death on the cross in our place and in His resurrection. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth. That's the reason for hope. The mercy of God. Mercy that we come to experience when we are born again in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's our reason for hope, the mercy of God, and flowing from that mercy, all that the Lord Jesus has done for us and offers to us. What's the nature of this hope? Hope in our world is a very weak word, isn't it? I hope Airdrie win. Though they've been doing quite well, they lost yesterday, but I think they won five games in a row or something like that before then. I hope Airdrie win. I hope the weather's good. Although again, there was a wee bit of sunshine. I don't know if you noticed as you left the church this morning. There was some sun out there for a moment. I hope the church heating is working this Sunday. Though again, it's putting up a good fight. It's, uh, it's warm in here this evening. I actually like that fan up there. You won't believe this, but some of my colleagues in ministry receive criticism. Hard to believe, I know, but I like that fan because the fan, pardon the pun, but it takes all the heat off me. If people are going to criticize something in this church, it tends to be the fan up there that gets it rather than myself. We can have all sorts of hopes, but usually we speak of hopes as uh, dreams. We put it in that category, don't we? Things that we desire, but we can have those desires without any real expectation that those dreams, that those desires will find their fulfillment. That's how we speak of hope in our world. But when we find hope in the pages of Scripture, it's transformed. The, the nature of hope in the Bible is totally different to how we think of hope in our world, in our society. We think of hope as desires or dreams that may never be fulfilled wants that can just be uh, snuffed out in a second. But when we read of hope in Scripture, it is transformed, it is alive, it is vibrant, it is strong, it is secure, there is nothing, there is no one who can snuff it out. It is a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. What was it Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians? These three Remain faith, hope, and love. 
Christian hope survives and thrives despite all of the uh, satanic troops that are marshaled to snuff it out, it simply will not die. It's like one of those uh, candles, if I can say this with reverence, those kind of joke candles that you get where you blow it out and then it relights and try and lick your fingers and snuff it out and you think you've done it and then it relights. You can pour a cup of water on it and it, sure enough, it relights. You just cannot snuff the flame out. That is like Christian hope. No matter what comes against it, it just keeps burning. It just will not die. It's alive and it remains. It burns even in the coldest of places. It shines even in the darkest of days. All the world can try and snuff it out, but it just will not die. It is by very nature living. It is a living hope because we have a living Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is why our hope, by its very nature, is a living hope. Because our Lord, by His very nature, is a living Lord. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. Jesus is alive. I do not know what tomorrow will bring for any of us. I do not know what this evening will bring for any of us, but I do know that Jesus will be alive, that His atoning work will still be sufficient, that God will still be merciful, and therefore our hope will still burn brightly. We might lose everything. Brexit, when it comes, might be a disaster. Whether it's a hard Brexit or a soft, I don't know what that means, but whether it's a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit, it may be disaster. Maybe we'll lose everything. Maybe the pound will crash and, um, you know, there'll be a run in the banks and it'll be disaster. But we were reminded this morning that as Christians, we need to hold all of the material goods that we have as thankful as we ought to be for them. And here is a word for us in between Black Friday and Cyber Monday as we step into December with all of the madness of Christmas to come. We need to hold on to all of the material things that we have very lightly as Christians. They may be taken from us in the blink of an eye. But our treasure is kept for us in heaven where it will never perish, spoil, or fade. And that ultimately is where our home is and where our hope is and where our heart ought to be too. Well, yes, Peter, I know that I have an inheritance waiting for me in heaven, but I'm not sure I have the strength to get there. What if there's a knock at my door? And what if someone tells me if I don't uh, reject and renounce my faith in Christ that I'll be next to be martyred? Will I walk away? Will I forsake my salvation? Peter's answer to these Christians facing 
persecution is no. You are shielded by God's power. I wonder if you've ever reflected on what verse 5 means. I'll read from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. We would like to think that that verse means we are shielded from suffering, we are shielded from persecution, we are shielded from pain, we are shielded from loss, from grief. We would like to believe that it means we are shielded from all of these things, but clearly it doesn't in the context of the letter itself. Clearly, it doesn't mean any of those things. I believe that Peter is saying that if you are really born again, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then He will give you the grace you need for the challenges that you face in the day that you're in. God is faithful, says Paul. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Doesn't mean we don't feel that it's all too much at times. We do feel like that. But it does mean we are given the grace and the strength that we need to retain our faith in Christ no matter what we are facing. Don't worry, says Peter, you have a great inheritance. And if you are truly born again into this living hope, God will protect you from that which would seek to take you from his grasp. There is nothing lurking round the corner that will rob you of this inheritance. It is yours. Rejoice, Christian. It is yours. God has prepared it for you. And uh, when you receive it, these sufferings that you are facing at the moment will pale into insignificance. They will be as nothing compared to the joy of the glories that are yours in Christ Jesus. You may lose everything else, but you will not lose that, and you will not lose him. So never lose your hope. There's no small print here. It's yours forever. He will keep you to the very end, which is only the very beginning. What alternative is there, as we come to a close, what alternative is there to all of this, to life lived with Jesus? Well, life lived without Jesus, as far as I can see from Scripture, is life uh, lived on one of two journeys. Firstly, we can make our lives one long, hopeless journey. Despair always kind of sits under the surface, but we fill our lives with distractions. We fill our houses with stuff. We fill our bank accounts with as much as we are able to fill them with. And in that quest for more noise and more distractions and more stuff and bigger houses and fancier cars, we don't allow ourselves time to think about the meaninglessness and the hopelessness of our lives. That's why I think the last taboo is death in our society. 
you can talk about anything else. Deborah sometimes comes home and says, you will never guess what people are talking about in the staff room today. And I say, I don't want to guess and I don't want to know because I've heard these kind of stories before. You can talk about anything now, but not death. And I think the reason for that is simply that people are terrified of death. Because people are living in our town, in our streets, in our workplaces, without God and without hope. Thoreau said the mass of men leads lives of quiet desperation. And I think by desperation he meant despair. It's quiet, it's not loud, it just sits under the surface, always there. That's one choice. You can live your life one long and hopeless journey, or you can set your course for destination disappointment. You can have not no hope, but false hope. We sang earlier, in Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, shifting sand. Well, all other ground is sinking sand. You can have hope in all sorts of things, all sorts of people. You can have hope in yourself and your own efforts to be good and your own morality and your own religiosity. But that is false hope. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can have a life of hopelessness or you can have a life lived with false hope, a life setting your course towards destination, disappointment. Or you can live your life trusting in the ever-living Lord and therefore having an ever-living hope, a life lived with Jesus, a life lived for Jesus, a life lived alive to God and to the things of God. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be received in the last time. In this, says Peter, we greatly rejoice. In this, we greatly rejoice. And we greatly rejoice together now as we sing our closing hymn as we prepare to gather around the Lord's table together. There is a higher throne.